Thank you for tuning into a Centerpoint Church message. Our mission is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. We hope this message achieves that and inspires you to both grow in your faith and live it out today. Enjoy. Welcome to Centerpoint Church. My name is Aaron Master. I'm a pastor here. Our mission here is to help you take the next step in your relationship with God. And that step, it could just be showing up for the first time in a long time. It could be starting a relationship with God. It could be maturing or acting on your faith. But we all have a step that we hope to help you on today. This month, it's kind of a strange month here at Centerpoint. Uh, July, it tends to be statistically the lowest attended month in the church world. And we don't want to just assume defeat as a church because I hate losing. But I also think Sundays are super important for people to be at. Sunday services are the, the time and the place where people generally first start a relationship with God. It's when they grow in a relationship with Him. It's when they worship Him and just connect with others in faith Uh, and help them guide each other in their journey. So Sundays are super important. Sunday services are just something that we prioritize immensely at this church. So a way we're fighting this, and what we've done in the past, is since, since summer is a time where a lot of big blockbuster movies come out, we're doing this series that's called At the Movies. And what we're doing is we're looking at different movies and seeing what biblical truths we can notice in them and then apply them to our lives. And a perk of doing a series like this, At the Movies, is, can you smell it? Popcorn, right? Popcorn in church. So while I show you a little preview of the movie we're covering today, the host will come down and deliver some popcorn to you if you'd like. Check out our trailer for this week. drowning. I had to save him. This obsession with humans has to stop. I just want to know more about them. Ariel, don't! Poor child. I can help you. You can't live in that world unless you become a human yourself. Is that even possible? (laughs) It's what I live for. about you seems different. I can't quite figure it out. She got legs, you idiot. I don't know when, I don't know how, but I know something's starting right now. It's Little Mermaid. I don't know if you could tell who's a fan. Anybody a fan of Little Mermaid? Okay, a few people. I can sense it, though. But some of y'all are like, great, great. That's what today's on. The, so some people saw the new one, I'm guessing. Who've seen, who's seen the old one? The animated? 
Yes, we got participants today. First service did not want to participate in this. They were like ashamed or something. Well, you've seen the first one, great. Who remembers when Disney movies, they came out in movies, or like cases like this? Anybody remember that? Yes, yes. For me as a little kid, it was cool if you had a collection of them. Like you wanted all of them. And then I remember there was an age where something changed and if you had a collection like this and your friends saw it, it was embarrassing and you're like, those are mine, those are my sisters. And then now, with the way things tend to go, these are vintage, right? They're vintage and collectors. So as a 30-some-year-old, I should start collecting them again, right? I should start collecting them and flaunt my vintage Disney cases. Who needs Disney Plus, the streaming service, when you could have vintage, right? It could be amazing, well, anyways, I was at my uh, church summer dinner group last weekend, and they informed me that there used to be a specific rewinding tool for movies like this. Does anyone remember this? Okay, I know nothing about this. The DeMasters, when I was growing up, we weren't that bougie. Uh, I guess I can hang with y'all on VHS tapes, but not so much with a specific rewinder. That must be like a deep, dark secret of like blockbuster employees or something. I don't know. But anyways, today what we're covering is Little Mermaid. If you haven't seen it, it's okay because we're ta- what we're talking about is basically seen in all of the Disney movies. And if you haven't seen Disney movies because you've kind of been living under a rock for all the years, that's okay too because what we're looking at also generally happens in families. What we're reflecting on is in the movie, there's this person named Ariel. She's the main character and she's obviously a mermaid. But specifically, she is the daughter of King Triton, who so happens to be the king of all the water people. He's seen as kind of this god or this all-powerful character towards all the mer people. And throughout the movie, everyone generally has this awe and respect for him. Well, everyone except Ariel, his daughter. She knows how to push his buttons and has this close father-daughter connection to him. If you haven't seen this before, portrayed in a movie or in any Disney movie, you've probably felt it before, whether as a parent, like there's times where your voice just isn't going anywhere. Your kids walk all over you and they have like no respect towards you. Or maybe you've been the kid or you've been like Ariel or at least gone through times like it where you think your parents know nothing. And you hear like what they say, but you're like, nah, I'm just going to do my own thing. I'm good. Here's a little dialogue of Ariel and her dad, King Triton, in the movie. And we kind of tried the piece two together so that you can get a little longer dialogue, but it's a short clip. Check it out. I know. But one man did. Why blame every human? Mother would. No, enough. That's enough. Eric had nothing to do with it. Eric? Eric? Have you lost your senses completely? You are your mermaid. That doesn't make us enemies. Now I'm sensing as you see that, that clip, no real emotion from it. Like it's not funny, it's not impactful, nor really meaningful, but it's a clip you can observe and see and think, that's normal. That's a normal dialogue between a child and a parent in a comfortable relationship with one another. But it's one that's full of pushback and protests. It's really normal these days. But in this specific situation that we just saw, it's not just that. There's also disrespect, complaining, and toying with disobedience to the king. 
This type of action of protesting against both parents and the king, it's real life for us these days. Firstly, I know this is real life as a parent because I'm a dad of two little girls, and you can even start seeing it in my one-year-old Claire. Uh, she, Claire, she knows she is not supposed to eat things besides food, yet everything goes in her mouth. Everything goes in her mouth. Toys, bugs, dried food from three days ago, dirt. Like, this is my kid. Like, basically, this is what she's like. She's like laying in dirt, putting it in her mouth, not upset about it. <laughs> There's this one thing in particular, though, that she does that just irks me the wrong way. And she knows she is not supposed to touch this particular thing or have it or put it in her mouth. And it's not like the worst thing ever, but it's our dog's food. It's our dog's food and the dog bowl. Uh, we were camping recently, and this is kind of like our setup. Uh, my wife's put the food in there, our dog's in the, on top there. And Claire, the second you put food in, even at home, at home all the time, she hears the ting, 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 you know, as you dump the food in. She gets like a smile on her face, and she comes crawling over, ready. She starts picking at it, and she's looking at me doing this. And she's toying with disobedience. She's putting the kernels in her mouth. No, no, I'm not. Just kidding. And then the other thing that like irritates me is she puts it in the dog water bowl, and then it gets all like mushy and nasty. Yeah, it's besides the point. But that's my one-year-old. Don't even get me started with my three-year-old. So I get it, like disobedience and disrespect like we see with Ariel and her father, it happens because it happens to me as a dad with my girls. It's kind of just part of life. I did it when I was a kid and it's just kind of part of parenting. But I also get that dynamic of Ariel and her father because as a Christian person today, scripture tells us to see God both as father but also king in which I personally do see God as that. But with that said, I toy with disobedience to him in my son and father relationship, but that also means I toy with disobedience with him as the king, which is just unacceptable. Before I tell you how, first you need to know how and why God is to be seen as our spiritual father, even though many of us, we have earthly fathers. Uh, we could start seeing it in Genesis, right? God creates, Genesis 1:27. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. He is the parent. He's the creator. He's how the, the world starts because of him. He's father. And then we see people start affirming this throughout Scripture moving forward. We can see in the Old Testament, in Isaiah 64, 8, But now, O Lord, you are our Father, we are the clay, and you are our potter. And then in the New Testament, Ephesians 4, 6, One God and Father of all. We even see Jesus, when he was here on earth, he taught us to pray to God. But he said not to just affirm Jesus as, as, uh, as the Son of God, but also to pray to God as our Father. This then is how you should pray, our Father. That's Matthew 6, 9. So God is Father to me, but he's also King, Lord, Creator, Master of the universe. Psalm 47, 7, it says, For God is the King over all the earth. Praise him with a psalm. Now when I reflect on how I live, I realize I'm more like Ariel than I ever thought I could be, especially when I was growing up. Because I tend to approach God with only a complaining child and parent relationship than I do as a person who is to respect the king. Ariel, she has this close connection with her father and treats him like any son or daughter would, would treat a father. 
But when your father is also the king, it's easy to slip in disrespect. For me, I, I have a connection to God as, as my father and as king. And since it's not this new relationship to me, like I've been a Christian for a lot of years, I've grown to be more like Ariel, though, at times, and see God more like a father than king or lord of the world. And positively, that's brought me this closeness to God, which I think God desires, but it also gives me a feistiness towards his word or his ways or kind of this lackluster respect towards him, or even one who's a little flippant in my obedience towards God as king at times. I embarrassingly, I have had diminished importance on God's right living and expectations because it's my father. He's my father, and that's just what you do at times as a kid. I know God loves me. I know he'll always forgive me. I know his heart is for me, but sometimes in response to that, I rebuse it, I abuse it, and I don't respect the Father as I know I should. I don't respect the Father as a king who deserves utmost respect. Now, this is me kind of being a bit real and raw with you about me personally, as I don't love, like, sharing this about myself, nor even sharing it as a pastor. But before I go any further into our message today, I want to ask you, where are you at in all of that? Do you see God as Father and yourself as His son or daughter? Do you have a comfortability in your relationship with him because of that? Has that comfortability maybe gotten you to be a bit more flippant about respect and are maybe casually disobedient to him? Has your comfortability to him and a deep comprehension of his love maybe made you walk that line a bit too closely and give him a bit of disrespect? In The Little Mermaid, spoiler alert, this is exactly the case in the relationship of Ariel and her father. Yet because it's a movie, she still gets what she wants. In the end, she gets what she wants. It's happily ever after. Like she gets the guy, she gets to be what she wants, like a human, and she still gets to be with her father and the king and the relationship, and everything's great. Although God can turn around any situation and use it for good, the situation with Ariel is generally not how real life works. Sometimes it does, but sometimes you make a crummy decision and there are consequences for it and it ends badly. I hate starting off our morning like with news like that because God is a God that's full of good and full of forgiveness and grace and he desires to lead us to what's best for us if we let him. But as a whole, disobedience and disrespect of God as king, it causes some major issues. There are consequences for it that you and I can experience in our disobedience and in our disrespect. If we look to the Bible on this, it's not hard to see that we as humans, we are pretty good at disobedience and disrespect to God as king. It's actually quite common amongst God followers. To just list a few of like messages that we've done in the past couple weeks, if you've been here, these are people we've kind of covered. The first one being Adam and Eve, right? The first humans. They were the first humans that had a relationship with God. Well, they do the one thing God says not to. Jonah. Jonah's a prophet of God. He runs away from what God wants him to do, and he's supposed to be a communicator of what God wants his people to do, and he runs away from it. Hosea, he's also a prophet. He marries a wife who's a prostitute, and she redeems herself and starts living redeemed and forgiven, but then she starts going back to her old ways. That's sin. 
Saul, an Old Testament king in David's time, he decided he wanted to do things his way instead of God's way, and his pride destroys him. And in response to these people's disobedience, we see consequences. We see things like this. First off, discipline. Discipline happens. And correction, as we saw with Jonah, like Jonah and God bringing him through stuff. He was corrected by sailors kind of throwing him over sea and the discipline of like that conversation about what he was doing. Jonah got a bit of what Hebrews 12 talks about. As you endure this divine discipline, remember that God is treating you as his own children. God disciplines us. We also see that God removes blessings We saw it with the prophet of Hosea when his wife falls back to sin. It says, Therefore, I will take away my grain when it ripens and my new wine when it's ready. I will take back my wool and my linen intended to cover her naked body. There's blessings that are removed when you go into a sinful life. Uh, There's also natural consequences of sin occur. Uh, when, When the king Saul was prideful, even knowingly, it put him in a place where he shouldn't have been and was killed because of it. He planted pride and it harvested consequences. Galatians 6, 7, it says, don't be misled. You cannot mock the justice of God. You will always harvest what you plant. And then lastly, distance. Distance happens between us and God. Uh, not, not on God's choosing, but on our choosing. Adam and Eve felt they needed to hide from God after they did what, the, it, what he told them not to, which just shows that our personal shame, it brings a distance between us and God. Check it out in Genesis 3, 7. It says, And the eyes of them both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together. You see, we are really good at being a bit flippant about obedience to God and disrespecting Him. And what that does to us is usually something not great. Now, I'm not here to judge you because it's me who deals with this, but I think the reason we do it is we are tempted so greatly. The things outside of God's desire or sin is just so desirable. It consumes us, even knowing there's consequences for it. In the movie, Ariel's deepest desire is to be with humans, to be a human. She wants to be one so bad, even though her father, but also her king, says no. Says no. She wants it so bad that she goes as far as having an interchange with what's seen as like evil. It's Ursula. It's the the octopus, the the witch of that time. It's like, it's evil. Like, I mean, Ariel, she knows this person's evil. She, She looks evil. She looks scary. She was scared of this person in the movie. Yet she still wants her heart's desires over what her father and king and what King Triton has directed. She wants it so bad that she's willing to do something even like this. Check it out. Child. Poor sweet child. He can be so angry. He thinks he knows everything. Who are you? Oh, you must not remember me. I'm your Auntie Ursula. The sea witch? The what? What has your father told you about me? I'm not half the monster he claims I am. And I'm only here to help. I don't need your help. Whatever you say, darling. Thank you. How can you help me? 
it's like so obvious, right, that you don't want to mess with her, right? You don't want to mess with her. She's creepy. She's scary. It's so obvious that this person is evil. Like, how does she not see it? As I watch the scene, I, I want to be the commentator like that, that's at the movie, like speaking into Ariel's life, kind of like this guy in this scene. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Come on, man. What you doing, man? That's stupid. That's stupid, man. Don't do that, man. Come on. This Are you kidding me? Come on, man. Don't go in there. Do not go into a crane shot right now. You kidding me? Yeah, man. Hell, y'all, this movie's got an inconsistent visual language. Don't do it. Don't do it, right? You want to, like, yell to her? Don't do it. It's so obvious. Well, because it's a movie, right? It's obvious because it's a movie. But it's also so obvious that she is willing to go that far with it because she sees the directions from her father as just kind of casual parental advice. And her response to that advice isn't urgent. Because in her mind, it's just, I'm just rebelling. I'm rebelling against my father. When really, she's rebelling against a king's wisdom. Now, her choices seem out there, but it's actually kind of close to real life these days. I mean, think about you and me. Like, for us, it's probably not going to an Ursula-like person, but for us... Many of us know like that going to that bar is bad news when we're in the mentality that we're in, yet we still do it anyways at times. Staying up extra late, even though you're so tired, just so that you can go to that website and no one else is around, no one sees what you're doing. Or maybe going out of your way to concoct this revenge plan to get back at that person, even though that every step you take just feels so over the line already. Or maybe for you, it's like just intentionally being hurtful to another and you are like, there's no way I would ever treat anyone this way, but you still keep going with it. It's like you have to cross boundaries and disobey your father or that internal voice, your conscience in a sense. But like Ariel, we tend to still keep going, even noticing this all. So today, I hope to help you see through scripture of how we can rightfully respect God as father, but also as king in our life. If you're a Christian in the room right now, this message, it's not like a ton of new information or an earth-shattering way of thinking about God or anything like that, but it's one that is essential to both just ponder and check yourself on once in a while. Checking yourself to make sure that we are giving respect and obedience to our Father, but making sure it's the respect that a king deserves. And how we're to do that is, I think, twofold is what comes to mind on this. Has anyone ever seen like these scales before? I have one here uh, that I'll show you. Let's just see here. So like in life, like it tends to be like we, we think of life like a scale. Like, you know, you try to even things out. Like you maybe do a couple bad things in life and you're like, ah, oh, I got to do something good now. And then like you maybe do like two bad things and you're like, ah, oh, I got to do more good. Like and it's this, this playing, this game of like trying to equal out good and bad in your life. And that's kind of how we tend to see our relationship with God. We're to be obedient Not do too much bad, but be obedient, equal it out with good. And this is what life is like if you're trying to be obedient to God consistently. But then when you slip and you try to do good, and you feel you like, just, I need to keep this balance. I need to keep doing this balancing act. And this is how we look and live for God. It's a balancing act. Yet I want to remove this idea completely because it's incorrect. Forget it. And we're going to use the scale in a whole different way, a whole different image, a different mental image. Firstly, sin is naturally going to happen. It's always going to happen to us. It's always going to be something we deal with. But like the scale naturally would do, 
It's going to get heavy on that side, and the other will go up. To put God in his rightful place, what, I, what came to mind for me as I was reading scripture about this is we are to raise up the king, and we are to dunk the sinner. And it looks more like this in my mind. I get this might be a weird picture to you, but I'll explain it. Um, this is twofold. You are to place yourself in a position where you are raising up the king. You are praising the king. You're raising up that edge of giving things to God. And then you are to also, though, dunk the sin, as in dropping it and having it no longer be a part of your life. Honestly, when you dunk it and strip yourself of it, it makes it easier to raise the king, to raise the king, because you've seen what you've overcome through God in your life. This would be more of an appropriate image. For some reason, all week long, this is the image that's been in my mind, so I hope it's one that sticks out to you or one that makes sense to you at least. But for the remainder of our time, I want to talk about how we can do each of these, of raising up the king and dunking the sin. So to start with, the first one, raise, raising up the king. In The Little Mermaid, we can clearly see how people thought of the king. We see others, they bowed, they gave respect, they gave gratitude, they were obedient. To raise up the king in our life, we're to do similarly. I think to summarize what we're to do is we're to worship him. I think it seems obvious, but... But it's a real thing that I think we need to ask ourselves. Are you worshiping the king? Are you worshiping in your life God today? Like, are you seeing him as greater than you? Are you respecting him, not because it's convenient or desirable, but because he's God and he deserves it? Do you have gratitude towards him? Like, you've seen how he's been for you over the years in so many ways. Are you actually worshiping God or are you just playing Christian or playing church? Which one is it for you? You might be like, I'm here, right? I'm here, Aaron. I'm worshiping. And you are. And I think that's a great start for some. But for others, are you really worshiping God? Are you here mentally checked in? Are you rediscovering this awe for God when you're here? If not, or if it's a struggle for you, I want you to know I get it. I absolutely get it personally. For me, it's, it's a bit of a struggle at times. I mean, I, I obviously work here at this church, so I work Sundays, but I'm still required to worship God. And when I'm trying to worship God here, I think I have probably similar thoughts to some of you guys. Like, instead of me just trying to connect with God on Sunday mornings, I tend to think more of, hmm, was the Sunday message good or bad? Was it good? Did I like it or not? Or instead of thinking about what I'm offering God on Sundays or giving God while I'm here, I tend to think, am I getting fed? Am I learning? Did I get something out of it? Was the atmosphere good? Did I like it? Was the popcorn good? Instead of bringing an offering to God of my presence, I focus on maybe checking boxes sometimes on Sundays. Uh, served him. Yeah, I showed up. Yep, gave some. Check. I sang a little. Check. Again, this is me. This is me personally. But can you relate? You see, Sundays, they're meant for worship, for raising up God in our life. Because if it's not about that, we will never be happy or content in a church. Like, if it's just about the teaching, you're going to eventually hear some stories that are the same as what you maybe heard a year ago, and the sermons will get old, and the Aaron humor, the Aaron humor might get boring to you after a while. Or if it's just about the music, the songs will get repetitive or away from your style. And then you're like, ah, I just I can't connect. Or if it's just about the fun or the coffee or the break away from the kids, it'll eventually just be easier to stay home. 
But a huge point of Sunday services is worship of God. Because when you do, you're respecting him as the king he is. Scripture tells us how we can worship and respect God. In Hebrews 12, 28, it says, Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe. It says, with thanks, that's with awe and reverence. I want to give you real examples of, of how you can do that today. For today, maybe you need to give him gratitude, as in giving God thanks to God of what you have. It's part of worship. Maybe today, you need to express love outwardly to God. Like, you've realized you have this awe for him, or you should have this awe for him, of what he's done in your life. So in response to that awe, you maybe worship him through standing during the worship song and reflecting on the words. Maybe it's through singing. Maybe, maybe you raise your hand. Maybe, maybe it's some sort of connection where you're trying to connect with God. Today, maybe for, for worship, you need to change your mindset of what am I getting, change it from that, to what am I giving God? What am I giving God? That is worship. That is raising up the king. You see, when you worship and raise up the king in your life, disobedience is less likely to happen. Ariel, she, would have got, she wouldn't have even gotten close to the disobedience she did if she had the gratitude, if she had the awe and respect and worship towards the king that she needed. As you think about you, which one do you need to work on today? Or maybe, maybe it's all of them. I know I need to work on all of them. I have opportunities for growth in all of those things I just suggested. So I want to give you prompts, because maybe you're the same as me, of, of prompts of things that you could answer. Right now, maybe this think in your mind, I'm thankful to God for blank. During worship, I will reflect on the words, give you my song, uh, connect with you. Today, I'm giving God my presence, mental presence, my finances, opportunity to serve him. What is it for you? When you do those things, that's raising up the king. Again, if we look at that picture, we're raising up the king consistently. If we're doing that consistently, not doing this, this balancing act from the outside, measuring the scales, that's not what it's about. It's raising up the king. But then the second part is dunking the sin. What that means is stripping yourself of your old ways. Dunk sin. Get rid of it. Hebrews 12, it talks about this. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down, especially the sin that so easily trips us up, and let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We have an ability to let go of sin or mistakes because of Jesus, because of a connection with Jesus. He's forgiven us. And it doesn't take much on our end. We're able to let those go. The Christian story is, is God wanted us so dearly that he gave up his son, his status, his power to live on earth perfectly as we should, but then to die this brutal death that's unfair, but does it to be the sacrifice and payment needed to make things right for us and God so that we can have eternal life with him. And because of that, when you are with God, sin should no longer be this weight on you. It should no longer be this burden on us personally. We have been forgiven. You can be forgiven and less burdened through a relationship with Jesus. Sure, sin, sin's still going to happen in your life when you're connected with him, and it'll hit you momentarily, but it should be stripped off, and it should be dunked instantly. And that stripping of it and sinking to the bottom, of letting it sink to the bottom, go to the bottom, should help our praise go up. It should help our praise go up because we are able to see how far we've come 
with a relationship with God. It should help us see how and why we can raise up the king personally and consistently. Ariel, she had a desire that was what the king did not want her to do. Instead of stripping that off, she let it weigh on her, and it was what consumed her. But it also happened because she wasn't worshiping the king. You see, they go together, worshiping God and dunking the sin in your life. For you, as you think about you, what sin needs to be dunked? What sin has maybe creeped up that is not letting you worship God fully? Is it maybe a sin of pride, like we saw with Saul? Is it maybe a desire that is outside of God's desires, like Adam and Eve? Is it not following God's direction, like, like Jonah? Or is it an old habit that you know is wrong that you keep falling back to, like Hosea's wife? These sins, we need to not let them be on us or stay with us, but strip them and remove them from our life and have them no longer be a part of it. Jesus is the only one who can help us do that. And one of the greatest ways to mentally kind of feel him do that, to kind of reflect on how he does that, is called baptism. Baptism is a great way to experience that and kind of have an image of what that looks like. Baptism, what it is, is it's an action that you can take that's a symbolic dunking. It's symbolically dunking your life, living with sin, uh, dunking it underwater, and, uh, and it's dunking this life uh, of, of living without God in his rightful position. And it's a symbolic act that's meant to show when you dunk life that was tied to sin, but then you let that go under the water and you come up as a clean person, someone new. And that is how God will forever see you as this clean, new, fresh person, this rebirth in a sense of how God will forever see you as someone who is set in a relationship with him. Sin will always inevitably creep up on you even after baptism, but it will never slow you down. Because God has forgiven all and will forever see you as one who has been dunked or one who has dunked a life of sin. Baptism, if the whole like kind of immersion baptism thing is something new to you personally, where we first see it is actually in the New Testament with John the Baptist. Uh, And I'll be real with you, baptism is kind of a weird thing. It's kind of a weird religious thing. And, And John the Baptist, where we actually see it first happen in the New Testament, he's kind of weird too. Um, Let me read a little bit about it for you. Uh, In Matthew 3, 4, it says, John's clothes were made of camel's hair, and he had a leather belt around his waist. His food was locusts and wild honey. You know, your normal average dude, right? Not so much, right? So it's definitely not, especially when the Bible, like, feels the need to point this out, right? There must be something unique about him. But it then says, people went out to him from Jerusalem and all Judea and the whole region of the Jordan, confessing their sins. They were baptized by him in the Jordan River. People wanted a fresh start. They wanted to dunk their sins and kind of just have an image of what that looks like and live for God. And what that looked like back then was full immersion. They would be dunked completely under the water to model putting away a life of sin, a life of mistakes, a life that would, that would get bogged down by just the hurt, the, the shame, the caring of wrongdoings, and just holding all that on you. And they're, what they're doing in baptism is putting that to death. And then coming up as a person who is fully devoted to God that is constantly stripping sin away from them. It's an action that is outward for others to see, but it's also this moment that's internal and it's memorable for you. It's strange because it's a religious act. You don't do it anywhere else. But it's something that we see Jesus does, and it's something that we see that Scripture desires us to do as well. 
Romans 6, 4 talks a little bit about the imagery of what we can experience with it. It says this, We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that, just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. When baptism happens, it's you embracing this newness of life, one that dunks sin and one that's set to raise up the king in your life. This spring, we had about five people get baptized, and it was awesome. Uh, it was super awesome. There were different ages, different backgrounds, but they wanted, these people that got baptized, they wanted to not let sin consume them or hold them, but to dunk it and have it be no more. Here's a little short video of them sharing their experience. I got um, baptized at Center Point Church, and I'm excited to continue my relationship with Jesus. Baptism at Center Point was amazing to declare my love for God and finally feel clean the way that God sees me. For me, getting baptized was an amazing experience because it made me feel a lot closer to God. The baptism was important to us because it helped us feel clean and renewed and it seemed like the next best practical step in our faith with Christ. It was amazing and it's this monumental moment in, in your faith journey for you to look back on when you made the decision to both dunk sin and declare that you are raising up the king with your life. If you're interested in that dunking part, as in getting baptized, uh, we're having a baptism coming up on August 27th, and it'll be a bit different than what we've done in the past. We're actually doing it in the evening. We're going to be doing it on a Sunday night here at the museum. Uh, we'll have a hot tub kind of outside. It won't be like super hot or anything like that, but it'll be outside, and we're going to have a bonfire worship that'll happen beforehand, then the baptisms, and then after we're having a little dessert potluck. So if you love desserts, you might want to come to that. But the concept is going to be raising up the king and dunking the sin. If you're interested in that, you can simply fill out that connect card, write baptism on it, put that in the offering bins that come by in a little bit. The only prerequisite for baptism at Centerpoint Church is that you must have a personal relationship with Jesus. But from there, we want to help you take that next step. But as you think about dunking sin today, what in your life needs to be dunked? I always try to get real with you and practical, so I want to give you a chance to just take a step closer to that baptism feeling. Uh, so today, I want you to think right now, what's one particular sin or mistake that you need to dunk? Is it maybe an unhealthy habit that you have? Is it an addiction or judgment or anger? What is it for you? What's a sin in your life that needs to be dunked? I don't know if you saw it, but outside at the main entrance there, we have a dunking machine. I want you to think of something that maybe you feel is weighty, that just needs to be dunked completely. And as you are by that dunking machine, you can think about that thing, toss that ball, and dunk it on top of that mentally. So it's kind of a fun way to just image, have an image of what that looks like. But today, as I close, we talked a lot about dunking sin and raising the king. Which one do you need to focus on? I'm going to pray that unlike Ariel, that we respect God as both our father and king. Would you pray with me about that as I close? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for today. Thank you for just giving us uh, an image of, of what it looks like to strip sin from our life, not having sin be a part, dunking sin. And God, we want to raise you up. We want to praise you. We want to worship you. Help us do both of those things. Help us be in pursuit of you. God, some of us here right now, maybe we've never had a relationship with you, and, but we don't want sin to weigh us down anymore, and we want to raise you up. So we're confessing to you, God, we want to follow you. And then, God, some of us right now, we just we want that next step. 
prompt us in how we can continue to worship you well or to omit a sin from our life. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.